This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, Boomers, to a very special episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise podcast. We have a very special episode tonight. We have Anthony Montgomery, a.k.a. Travis Mayweather himself, coming in, interviewing with us, and it's a real treat. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Anthony. Um, We're just going to jump right into it because I know that um, time is a premium for you. So how did you get into acting? How did I get into acting? My... I actually didn't have direction in my life and I started college and I took general electives. I started at IUPUI, that's Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. It's a community college in my hometown of Indianapolis. But if I had, depending on which area I majored in, my degree would have either come from Indiana University or would have come from Purdue University, depending on which way, which way I went. I took general electives when I initially got into college and on my way to one of my classes, a director was walking down the hall. I didn't realize that he was a director. He just, see, he was just a random guy that happened to be walking toward me. And he said, you have a great look. And, you know, that gave me pause because guys don't, where I'm from, just walk up to other guys and say things like right. that. So I didn't, I didn't know where that was going. He said, no, no, are you an actor? Because you've got a really great look. And I said, no. Uh, have you ever thought about it? No, I never, I actually had never thought about it. And he said, well, I'm auditioning for a play. I would like you to audition and because I think you'd be perfect for it. And being from Indiana, I did not know what auditioning entailed. I had heard a lot of the horror stories about it from when I was there about the different things that happened in those casting rooms. So I said, well, as long as you're not talking about anything illicit or anything, what, what does that mean? I don't know what it means to audition. And he said, no, I'm just going to give you a sheet of paper. That'll be the script. It'll be the sides. It'll have the dialogue on it. You read it. However that makes you feel, you say it just like that. I said, that's it. I don't have to do anything else. I'm not touching. You're not touching. Nothing. No, 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 no. Okay. So I auditioned, got the play. It was called East of the Sun, West of the Moon. 
I played the North Wind. It was a children's theater piece. And before we even finished the rehearsal process, I fell in love with acting during that. Mine was a very, there are no small roles, only small actors is what uh, the quote is, I believe. It was a small role to me because I had never done anything like that before. And, but we got such an amazing response. It was a kid's children's theater piece. And we ended up touring the state. Uh, We did about three different cities. We toured for about three months. I learned how to build sets. I learned how to make costumes, everything, literally starting with this one show. And once I got on stage and I had the impact that I was able to have on these kids, I knew that my calling was to be an actor. So I literally declared my major right after that theater major, no minor, because I said, I'm going to act or starve and I like to eat. So I'll make sure that I get to eat. (laughs) That's really what it was. And I've been going, I've been going since, you know, I've had my droughts like anybody in the business, but feast or famine, this is what I do. That's right. And I think that's, that's amazing that you discovered it so early on in your, in your college career. So how did you make the transition from theater and then hearing about Enterprise and what made you want to audition for that role as Travis? Well, it wasn't, it really wasn't anything that I can say was a, it wasn't an epiphany. Oh, I'm auditioning for a Star Trek show. Honestly, I had been out here for several years and I was broke. I was really broke. I had taken a couple of jobs that I didn't like in my career because I only did them for money. And I was told sometimes you do it for the art, sometimes you do it for the paycheck. Well, there were a couple of those early on that I did just for the paycheck. So when I heard about the untitled new Star Trek series, because Voyager was still on air, my then agent, it was either my agent or my manager, I believe it was my agent, called and said, they're auditioning for a new Star Trek series, and I want to submit you for it. And of course, go ahead. So she did. And I ended up, I was hosting a kid's adventure show at the time. They liked me for the initial audition and they brought me in for a callback. And while, after I went in for the callback, I got to meet Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, our creators, and Jim Conway, who was our pilot director, who set the tone for our entire series. I got to meet all of them and some of the other producers, uh, Brad Jacobian, our UPM, I believe Mary Howard was there. Uh, She was also one of our producers on the show. And after my callback, they said, I want, I left and went to do my kids adventure show. Some people have seen it. Others haven't. It was called Awesome Adventures. And they used to take me and two kids ages between 12 and 17 on these amazing adventures. I've run off mountains in Switzerland. I've scuba dived in the South China Sea. I've gone spelunking in London and climbed up uh, a tree to a canopy in a Costa Rican rainforest. That was the gist of that show. We were doing a show in Northern California after my Enterprise, well, untitled Star Trek show audition. And while I was gone doing the show, they got in touch with my reps and said, they love you for it. They want to test you as soon as you get back. 
they did the deal. And when I came back, when I got back to Los Angeles, I met Rick and Brandon on the Paramount lot. And I went in and tested for the show and got it. And, and ultimately answering specifically to your question, when you say, how did I make the transition as an actor? We want, and I'll speak for me as an actor. I won't speak for all actors, but I feel like a lot of them that I've spoken to, we have kind of the same thing. I, we want an avenue so that we can shine in what it is that we do. So whether you put me on stage, you put me in front of a camera and say it's going on television, you put me in front of a camera and say it's going on the big screen, I'm going to give 180% regardless. So I didn't, I didn't really feel like there was a lot that I needed to do. But again, I was very new to it, and I didn't realize that for as big as I was allowed to be on stage, you're not allowed to be that big when you're in front of the camera. So my biggest training literally was an on-the-job training that took me to a place where I had to discover how to have all of the intensity that I naturally generate, have it contained so that you got it out of my eyes, so that it came in a much smaller package as opposed to the grandeur of a stage. You have to be able to perform whether there's five people in the audience or 5,000. Everybody needs to hear you. Everybody needs to feel you. So that was a transition for me. But otherwise, it was just really me working. Right. You're really trying to focus your, your energies into, I think, a smaller environment. Yeah. Um, that's all. So in the Blu-ray sets that came out in 2012, you guys did a bunch of uh, special features with the cast and the crew. And you mentioned that you had some regrets that they cut down some of your best parts of your acting. Specifically, there was an emotional breakdown when you heard that your father died in the episode Horizon. And that really struck with me because it's one of my favorite episodes. So can you elaborate more on this? Well, okay, so, because I haven't seen the Blu-rays. I know what you're talking about. We did those, and we had a fantastic run doing it. What I ended up doing was there was a take. I felt, For me, I'm going to the truth of the character, and I'm staying organically there. Regardless of what that means, I'm staying organically in that space. Now, although Travis was an officer and he was in Starfleet, Travis had just found out that his father was dead with the backstory that I had created for the character and the backstory that they gave me. I realized that there was unresolved issues that Travis had with his father. And with that, I wanted to make sure that I stayed true to what we would do as human beings, finding out that the person you love is gone. The, what you do organically and authentically once you find that out. And there was a scene, there was a scene that we were dealing with it. Well, at the, the scene that kind of starts the movie where Travis is by himself in the sweet spot and that's Archer right. comes up, that scene, that, that's what we're talking about. So in that scene, well, in that sweet spot area, we've already established by the time we've done this, we've established that this sweet spot is Travis's space where he just gets to decompress and have his own time. We established that early on in the series before we got to him finding out about his father. So for me, 
Travis has nowhere else on the NX01 that he can go and actually be in his own environment and have his own free, free range of thoughts and will and everything because you're not supposed to do certain things when you're a part of Starfleet in a particular way. Well, I said what we promised the fans and not we as in me, cause I'm an actor on the show, but what was promised to the fans initially was that enterprise was going to be a departure from all of the things that they had already grown to know and love about Star Trek. It was going to be inclusive of those things, but it was also going to be a departure in that we were going to see how things came to be. We were closer to being like us as human beings and having our flaws and having those flaws on display than they were in the perfect society of Kirk and every other series after ours. So to me, as the actor on a very simple level, having not communicated with any of the execs or any powers that be just as an actor, as a man, if you find out that your father is dead and you had an issue, unresolved issues with your father, then that is going to be truly impactful when you find that out. It's not about holding that emotion in and doing all of those different things. It's about truly addressing what the core is that of the person that you are. So to me, Travis loved this. He loved his father. His father's gone. So I just dealt organically with that. And a couple of the takes, I just let go. Travis was bawling and then Archer comes up and they let us go through it. And then I get this note and it was, uh, I, I was told because I was in my space so I really, I, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention, but I was told there was literally not a dry eye on set the day that we did that. It was that powerful. But then I'm asked by our AD per instructions that he received, we want Anthony to sit on it. We want him to have all of that, but we want him to sit on it. And the reasoning I got was that in Starfleet, you would never emote like that in front of your superior officer. And what I said was, but we've already established that this is Travis's quiet place. He didn't know Archer was coming up there. So why don't we just allow it to be what we promised as a man in 2000 or whatever that was, 2002, if I had found out that my significant parental influence was gone, I would have cried about it. And I said, I'm not trying to make a statement here. It's not, you know, uh, officers do this and you can do this if you're, if you're this officer or what. It wasn't any of that. It was this, this man who still has that boy inside that was battling those issues he had with his father just found out that his father died. I wanted to deal strictly with that. So it ended up, what you guys ended up seeing, truthfully, is the watered-down version of what that scene was. It ended, up, it ended up being a very powerful and strong episode regardless, but that was just one of those instances where I realized that as the actor, there's only so much you can control. You have to go to work, give 180%, and leave it there because... At the end of the day, I'm not the editor. I'm not the director, producer, writer, anybody else. 
you put it on the page, I'm going to bring it to life. And then what happens after I let it, I release it to the stage or to the screen or whatever it is, then you guys are going to do your thing. So again, more, more life lessons that I was able to get at that time. Right. And uh, I absolutely agree. I think we've seen in earlier iterations of Star Trek, there there are emotions in the future. In other series, there have been emotional characters. So I think it was a missed opportunity. And I, we would love to have seen that um, you emote appropriately in that in that scenario. But just sw- switching gears right now, you know, in terms of the, the show overall, what were your fondest memories um, that you can recall to us fans today? Oh, I loved, uh, I mean, honestly, I loved everything about being a part of Enterprise. I, even everything that I've just talked to you about, just because I learned that as a lesson, it did not detract from my sure joy and bliss of being a part of the Star Trek franchise. I knew Star Trek. I, I wasn't, I can't say I was a Trekkie by any stretch of the imagination, but I was obviously a fan of the Star Trek franchise and what Gene Roddenberry's legacy was and is and continues to be to this day. I, it's an honor for me to be a part of it in whatever respect I am able to do that. So I only took positive memories from it, regardless of whether it was the early call times or the late shoot days. It was all truly wonderful for me. And I know that seems all kumbaya and seems too cliche, but it wasn't for me. It was truly an actor who was just excited about being able to get ready to go to work. And then I happened to get a job on a show that changed everything about me. And all I did was go to work and do my best to do my best. Right. I think that's a really good takeaway. I had a wonderful time the entire time I was there. That's the biggest when you when you ask what are some of the wonderful take them away memories that I have. It's truly being a part of this franchise. I just went to an audition so that I could take care of myself and help take care of my family. I get a job and all of a sudden I'm a part of the global lexicon. Everybody in the world knows me, whether I know them or not, even if you don't, even if you don't like Enterprise or they didn't like Enterprise or they weren't a fan, everybody in the world knows what Star Trek is. And to, from an actor to go from virtual obscurity, I'd had a couple of jobs, but to go from virtual obscurity to a point where now I'm known the world over, that's just a blessing. It's an absolute blessing, and I just I stay completely grateful. Wow, and I think that's just a, such a great takeaway for for anyone being being if they had that same opportunity. So switching gears, actually, can you tell us more about your current projects? I'm I think you have a current graphic novel out called Miles Away. Yes, I do have a graphic novel called Miles Away. Miles Away is about a 16 year old who has a clouded history. He develops a superhuman ability and gets recruited by a shadowy organization to battle an evil entity and her minions on future Earth. It takes place in 2089 because I wanted it in the future, but still close enough to us to be relatable. He also allies with alien refugees as he falls into an interstellar war connected to his family's dark past. 
the story will be told and unfold through the eyes of Max, because no matter how many people, no matter how many characters you have in the main cast, there still has to be one focal point. But Max, Maxwell, our main character, Maxwell Miles, he will be going on his adventures with his best friend, Dwayne Stencher, and his, we're going to call her love interest, even though they're 16, he doesn't know what love is, but at 16, we all know what love is. So he's got his, his best friend, his female friend, and then there will be two aliens that will also be on the journey with them. And it's, I started it in 2000. Well, I came up with the idea in 2001, actually, during our first year on Enterprise. But because I was doing other things at the time, I didn't really focus on it. And right. anybody, if you get it, if they get a chance to get the book, I actually chronicle the entire histories of the story in the back of the first graphic novel. And I've been on tour, been on a world tour since April 24th, 2013. I did a three city tour in Australia. I went to Sydney, Perth and Melbourne. I went to Dusseldorf, Germany. I went to... Fuenlabrada, Spain. I've been to London a couple of times. I've been all over the U.S. And the sole goal is to continue building the momentum four miles away because I'm. the goal is to have a transmedia franchise. We start with a graphic novel. We'll move to, a, to an animated... It's going to be an animated feature film first. That will move to an animated trilogy. It will become an animated trilogy. And then my goal is to do 10 years of animation as a television series, picking up after the third in the trilogy. We will eventually transition into live action feature films. So I will have all of the actors that are on board to do their animated selves they will also then be on board if they want to, to do the live action version of their characters. And I, I say if they want to, because I have on this, a who's who of Star Trek actors. I have at least one actor from every Star Trek series that is on board to do a voice, but not only Star Trek actors. Um, and when I, uh, let me, let me back up for a second. When I say they have the option, Nichelle Nichols from the original series, our very own Lieutenant Uhura, will be playing the alien queen, one of the two aliens that will be with Max and his group on the journey. Well, the two aliens, it's their mother on the other world, but she's going to do the voice for the alien queen. But when we go live action, I would never ask Nichelle to put on that alien costume. So we would end up basically doing exactly what they did for Star Wars with Darth Vader. It will be somebody else in the costume where that was James Earl Jones's voice. I'll do that with the actors that may not want to put on the alien makeup. But I personally am going to be playing the main bad guy on the other world because it's so much fun to play a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I will be playing, playing I, when I say playing, it's fun for me when I get to go to work as an actor. So I'll be playing as the full-on makeup guy, Villamont, in the other world. But I don't just have Star Trek actors. My entire cast is a part of it. Again, I've got at least one. So for all of our, all of your 
Star Trek listeners out there, there will be a bunch of voices. Uh, Brent Spiner, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, Jonathan Frakes from TNG, Garrett Wong, Tim Russ. Uh, Arm, was, no, Armin was on Deep Space Nine, right? He Armin was, Sherman, he was. Terry Farrell. I have so many people. It is insane, Will. Um, I, but I don't just have Star Trek actors. I have two actors from the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, wow. I've got three of the knights of the BBC's Merlin television series. I've got Kai Owen and Eve Miles from Torchwood. I've got Chris Rock's brother, Tony Rock, is a friend of mine. He, Tony is hilarious. He's a stand-up comic. Tony is going to be a part of it. Uh, Chico Benimon, who is now on The Haunted Hathaways on Disney, or on a uh, Disney show, he used to be on Half and Half, and that's where he and I met. He's going to be doing a voice. I've got two NFL football players that are doing voices. All of these guys that found out about the project, they were excited about it and then just literally said, well, what can we do to be a part? So I just started accumulating voices and now I'm working on the next phase. I've had a lot of meetings over the last two years, two and a half years of people being excited, telling me that they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But when it comes time for people to write the check, there's a hesitancy. So I'm going to work on putting it together myself to raise the 3.2 million that I need to do the first feature film. And then my animation team will get to work. My animation team for all of your listeners out there consists of a director named John Simper. He's my director for my trilogy. We'll start there. And John got nominated for an Emmy for his work on the amazing Spider-Man that we grew up with in the nineties. John oh, wow. was a writer, producer, director for them and got nominated for an Emmy for his work there. He was also on, if your listeners will remember, Static Shock. Oh, I love Static Shock. He got nominated for an Emmy Award for his work on Static Shock. John and I became friends several years ago. And then when I knew that I needed a competent animation director, because again, I'm an actor, so... I focused on making sure that I have quality characters, they have solid backstories, and that I have a real foundation upon which to build my franchise. And I said, but I need people that are amazing in their own right for whatever it is, with what it is that they do. One of my writing partners for the, anim the first animated feature is... Eric Vale and your fans may know a show called Dragon Ball Z that Eric Vale was a part of. Eric was the voice of Trunks on Dragon Ball Z. Eric is a friend of mine. He's also my producing business partner. We did a movie, we did our first independently produced feature film called Chariot about seven strangers who wake up aboard a commercial airline in flight, no idea how they got there, no idea their destination. They learn that the world they know is under attack and they may be the only survivors. Eric and I and one of our other producing partners did that movie together. Eric, because he is an animation writer and he's been a head writer for over 50 anime programs and he's written for Funimation as well as a host of others. Eric and Brandon Easton, who is my writing partner for the graphic novel, 
Brandon was one of the writers for the new Thundercats revamp. You remember when they did that uh, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago? I did. Brandon was one of the writers for them. So between Brandon, Eric, and myself, we wrote the first feature film. Wow. Um, my animators come from the animators that are in my collective come from a vast variety of backgrounds. Many of them have worked for a who's who. They've worked for Disney, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Marvel, DC, Oni Press. Like they, they all are respected and have, have credits in their own fields. And because they are looking to establish themselves like the Pixar's and like the Lucas animation, those guys said, we love it and we would love to be a part of the Miles Away adventure. So once the check is written, my animation team is ready to stop all of their other work and they will then dedicate themselves two miles away. It'll take 14 months to get the first animated feature done. It's going to take 31 months to do all three animated features. We've already broken everything down and we're completely ready to go. Um, so that's what is going on with Miles Away. That is, uh, that is the beginning, and that will be the foundation of my own multimedia production company that is going to be my umbrella company, and it's called Montgomery Media Incorporated. I have my articles of incorporation, so I am a fully functioning entity, and we're going to be doing a lot there. But again, these are the things that I do, and I'm just going to give myself the umbrella for the company. I am also, November 6th, I've got a movie coming out. I'm going to shift gears from miles away because I know we're running short on time. And I've got another meeting to jump into. Um, but I'm going to, November 6th, I have a movie that is going to be in theaters nationwide. It's going to be, it's going to have a limited theatrical run. So check local listings for availability but it's called The Man in 3B. And it is based on a New York Times bestselling novel by an author named Carl Weber. And I play the, I'm either the fourth or fifth lead in, I play a bad guy in that. My character's name is Avery Mack. And this is going to be a complete departure from anything anybody in Hollywood has seen me do at all. So I'm really excited about that coming, and we're just a couple of weeks away from that. It's got a who's who in Black Hollywood that's in the movie. Billy D. Williams is in it, so you're going to see, you're going to have Star Wars and Star Trek colliding. He plays my mentor, and I'm not going to tell people more than that because I want them, I want them to go and see it, but they're going to be shocked when they see the two of us together. We were able to, we were able to do something really special with this film, and people are really excited about it. Uh, the last thing, well, not the last, but the major thing I can't really tell you about because I don't know if it's been released yet, but I just booked another series Wow! and I'll be on television again. I was told that my first episode is going to air November 9th, but then I just found out today it might be November 6th. So I'm not really exactly sure when it's going to air, but I can't make any announcements about it until the studio does. And as far as I've been able to tell, they haven't made the announcement yet. So to all of your wonderful fans, all of our wonderful Enterprise NX01 fans out there, I say thank you 
you guys for supporting us truly. Thank you for supporting us for all things Trek and all of our wonderful fans around the world. They usually support us in all of our other ventures, whatever those are. So I thank you guys in advance for supporting me independently of enterprise. And they, a lot of our fans since enterprise ended when I see them at the conventions and we do different things, they always say, when are we going to see you on television again? For all of you that have been requesting, it is coming soon. And I signed a nice little extensive contract. So you're not only going to see me, you're going to see me for a while. And, uh, and I wish I could say more, especially since we're going to the convention next week. That's right. And, I, but I can't because because I actually signed a contract, a confidentiality clause in my contract. So I can't tell you guys more. As soon as you guys see it, you'll know, and you can start posting and reposting. And then when they tell me it's okay for me to tell people about it, then I will. But just know we got a lot of stuff going on. Got a lot of stuff going on. It's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be a lot of fun. 2015, 16, and beyond. We're gonna have a blast. That's amazing. And as we wrap up here, you mentioned you're going to be at the 2050 Daytona convention Halloween weekend next weekend, which seems to be a really yes. great convention. So can you tell us more about that? I, I've i never been to this event in Daytona Beach. The convention itself is going to be October 30th through November 1st. I will be stopping there. It's going to be the next stop on my Miles Away World Tour, and I won't be there, though, until the 31st. I'll just be there the 31st and November 1st because the show that I'm working on, I have to work that Friday, which is the first day of the convention next Friday, and then I will be getting on probably a red eye i believe they have me on so that i can come and party with you guys at the 2050 daytona beach event they're going to have an esports tournament with a fifteen thousand dollar prize pool featuring halo 5 and call of duty advanced warfare there's a kids expo there's going to be cosplay contests five percent of the convention proceeds will go to five different charities there's going to be a bunch of parties and concerts and zombies versus gypsy street party and pub crawl. Come and hang out with me because hopefully your listeners will come and come to my stage talk. They usually have me on stage. Come up, get your autographed copy of Miles Away or get your copy autographed. You're going to have a great time when you're with me. That's all I can guarantee. The rest of the time, we're going to figure this out together. Well, that sounds like a great time. So if you guys can make it down to Daytona Beach, the event is 2050 Daytona. You can check out their website at 2050events.com. It's from October 30th through November 1st. Anthony himself will be there from the 31st through the 1st. So if you're there, check us out. Check him out. It sounds like a really great event. So thank you, Anthony, for making the time to talk to Trek FM and Warp 5 tonight. We really appreciate it. And you're welcome back anytime. Thank you, Trek FM. Thank you, Warp 5. I appreciate you, Will, and thank you to all the listeners. We'll do this again soon, guys. You guys take care. Stay blessed. Thank you. You too. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking with Anthony Montgomery, a.k.a. Travis Mayweather. Obviously, he has a lot going on on his plate with Miles Away and going to 2050 Daytona, the convention Halloween weekend. So if you want to check that out, 
like I said, again, go to 2050events.com, check out his convention appearance there, and be sure to be on the lookout for his Miles Away multimedia franchise, which sounds very exciting. I think that's the future of a lot of Hollywood productions and a lot of productions on TV is it's it's multimedia, it's multimedium, it's on comic books, it's in movies and TV animated and and having that type of, of synergy across those platforms. It really is um, the future of, of user-driven and audience-driven content. So it's very exciting. But Anthony Montgomery and Travis Mayweather isn't the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And they've added something completely new and fun. I don't think anybody would have ever thought, you know, before this, uh, you, you, you can't you can't fix perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know, but I'd say that they made it more perfect. Earl Grey. Daddy, do pets have a Nexus too? <laughs> the Pexus. Kirk had a, a dog in the Nexus too, didn't he? Oh, uh, Butler. Butler. Butler is now <laughs> Shadow. So we have the adventures homeward bound of Butler, Porthos, and Spot. Will they make it back to their owners in Montana? The orb. If he had like a game card, his power, you know, like would be higher than any other captain for their persuasion power. You'll be like, damn, I was winning. And then he went and played a Cisco card on me. The ready room. Someone pointed out that... This is actually the shortest title of any Star Trek episode. It's shorter than Voyager's Q squared by half a character because the two is superscript. <laughs> We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> to the journey! It's fake intimacy. Thank you. It is them trying to say, Jacote knows Janeway so well that just by fiddling her com badge... He knows the crap's going to hit the fan. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Here, here, here's a quick question. Uh, is the Blu-ray the correct aspect ratio? The aspect ratio, you've opened up a can of worms, okay? I'm just telling okay. you right now. The... I know that I have, but the thing is, it's because of you that okay. I even cared. Okay. The 602 Club. I think you've uh, hit something here, and I've never thought of it this way, but the true savior of the galaxy, it's not Obi-Wan, it's not Luke Skywalker, it's Aunt Beru. Literary Treks. Reagan's a great guy to bring up because his dad was this raging drunk, mm. and, uh, you know, he had a sort of drag him in on the, off the porch at night because he'd come home, like, falling down drunk, and, you know, you think of... And here he was, this kind of great man for the country at the time, uh, but he came from a place that was really kind of dark and also very relatable. Women at Warp. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, even though it's not necessarily always realized that, that we're, we're looking at it through the, the lens of our time. But that ideal is there and striving to, to, to be better and to be more inclusive mm-hmm. is, is such a, a noble goal. And introducing Metatrex. For Odo, the instincts are so powerful, they sort of override every other factor, every other value, every other choice that he has. And I think that's the point of this this view of determinism, that all actions that look like they're freely chosen are really just instinctive behaviors in one variety or another. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
Check out these shows and find out what we were talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us everywhere you can get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. It helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as you search iTunes. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or any of the other Trek FM network shows, please leave us a rating and a review, which helps us greatly increase our visibility for new listeners. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the other great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seat on our content development team, and more. So we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team and you'll find us here at patreon.com slash trekfm. And of course, we always thank our associate producers for Warp 5, Floyd Dorsey and Mike Morrison. Their support is why we can bring these shows to you each and every week. And we just really love their contributions to the network. In fact, Mike Morrison has just started a new podcast. He's a co-host with Zachary Fruling of Metatrex. And we're very excited to have that new show on Trek FM. So if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact and look to look for us in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can also find us on Twitter at trekfm, on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And of course, you can always find us in the Babel Conference, which is our dedicated listeners-only Facebook group where we have wonderful conversations about all things Trek and all things sci-fi, which is a wonderful community. And as you might notice, I'm actually going solo on this show tonight because Norman, my esteemed co-host, actually is feeling under the weather. So he unfortunately could not join my conversation with Anthony. But you can always find him on Twitter at, at Norman Lau, and that's spelled at N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O, at Norman Lau. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at my Twitter handle, Boomer Niner. It's spelled B-O-O-M-E-R-N-I-N-E-R. I think it's obvious which two Star Trek series are my favorite, so feel free to drop me a line anytime. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>